If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 36, Genesis 36, 1. Now, these are the generation of Esau, who is Edom. Esau took wives of the daughters of the Canaanites, Ada, the daughter of Elong, and the Hittite, and the Holobamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, and the Hittite, and Bashemah, Ishmael's daughter, sister uh, of Nebethjah. And, and Adam bare uh, to Esau Elahaz, and Bashemah bare Ruel. And Hoboamah bare Jesha, and Jamaham, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau, which were born unto him in the land of Canaan. Let's pray together, please. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before thy throne of grace and thank thee for the many manifold blessings in Christ Jesus you've given to us and the mercies that you've shed abroad upon us by through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the and by, uh, equipping us and leading us and guiding us in the way and direction we ought to go by thy spirit. We look to thee tonight that you bless us more on high that those without Christ should be pleased to save, and those in Christ that you would be pleased to strengthen and edify the saints of God. In Jesus' name I praise thee and thank thee. Amen. Now, the generation of Esau, as you notice, we don't have a lot of information in here, and the reason for that is, is we're not going to spend a lot of time with Esau's descendant. There's only uh, Edom and uh, <coughs> Elikim's is the uh, two main enemies of uh, Judah later on, the Edomites. And, and of course, sometimes these different tribes are mentioned, and uh, but <clears throat> they're usually just the Edomites that come against them. And, and these other names, except for two, as I mentioned, are just really not mentioned anymore in the Scriptures. This just shows the generations of Esau, uh, why is this information added at this point? Because it pleased God to do so. And the reason I put that in, uh, you can it, either it's the Word of God or it's not the Word of God. If it's the Word of God, then it's, this is exactly what God would have us to have. <clears throat> if it's just partly the Word of God and partly the Word of man, then we can't trust it anyway. And uh, generation here means the historical count, Strong's 8435, generation, especially in uh, genealogies, account of man, and his descendants is used 39 times in the Old Testament. However, generation or generations, <coughs> 1755 strongs, used 127 times in the Old Testament as in Genesis 15:16, means the length of time after the flood. Most of the time we can... <coughs> uh, Use 40 years as a generation, and which one generation takes over from an older generation, Numbers 20, 32, and 13, and uh, see Psalms 95, 10. The only reason I put that in there, the, some take this generation, the first use in the scriptures, or uh, the main use, and they use that for every generation in the Old Testament. And as mentioned here, it's only used 39 times in the Old Testament, where as the genealogy uh, generation is used 127 times, which 
is several times, four times, four, almost four times over. And uh, so the main re- meaning in, in the scriptures of generation, especially in the Old Testament, is the genealogies. You know, this, this one begot this one, begot this one, and so on and so forth. And the 40 years, somebody said, well, they lived, you know, Joseph lived 110 and so on and so forth. The generation is when one generation takes over from the other generation. And, uh, and sometimes it doesn't work. Forty years, this doesn't work. Other times, it works just fine. And so, but that's just a rule of thumb when he talks about the uh, 40 years or 40 uh, and speaks of a generation. I think it's, I believe it's Numbers 32, 13. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that it holds true. And that's the reason it said it's just a rule of thumb. It's something when it talks about 10 generations, so that's about 400 years. Although people probably living, if they're living their 70s and 80s, then we would say, well, you know, this generation, 80 years, but really just when one generation takes over from another. In this lesson is a historical list of descendants. And uh, verses 1 through 5, here it mentions wives of Esau, which were of Canaan, of the Canaanites. And the wives have two different names, as indicated in Genesis 26:34 and 28:9, when compared to Genesis 36:2 and 3. <clears throat> but this is not unusual in biblical names at all. Uh, <clears throat> this is uh, a lot of people have two names. Some are given the name of their uh, of their patriarch or the head of the house or their mother instead of their own name and. I, I, I kind of think this where sometimes people would call me Little Joe. My dad was Joe Kelly. They, didn't, they couldn't remember my name at all. And so they just called me Little Joe as with my other brothers. So sometimes it's like that even in Scripture. And then other times nicknames. Or that's what I call them. And there are names that's given to them because they live in a certain place or they've done something dumb or they've done something extraordinary. And... They're given a new name because either they had done something dumb or done something extraordinary, and they go by that name the rest of the time you see them in the Scriptures if they're mentioned more times. Esau's children were born in the land, and while most of Jacob's was born outside of the country, and so uh, if we was going by who, if you will, uh, should have inherited because I mean, uh, here Esau stayed in the land all this time, and and Jacob been gone all these years, and he comes back, and he and all of his children. Benjamin was born in country, but most of his children was born outside the country. Uh, Esau and Jacob parted uh, ways, and their substance was verses two, six, and seven. And it says, and Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all the beasts and all the substance that he had got in the land of Canaan and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob for their riches was more than that they might dwell together and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. And then thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, and the Mount Seir. And 
And so this uh, uh, this is the, uh, if you will, the and the 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 pardon of their ways. And we know that Esau, when he came to meet him, was already living in Mount Sur. And so <clears throat> some of these things, as we try to match them together, and then one of uh, Esau's descendants is named Sir. And uh, then there's a, uh, I think he's a Canaanite or Hittite that's named Sir. So it's probably named after the Hittite and, and this Mount Sir, and, and of course it came to be known as Edom. <clears throat> the, uh, we remembered Jacob's stay in the land of Canaan until the trip to Egypt, <clears throat> and Esau went to Mount Sir of the land of Edom. Again, Edom means red and stands for the red pottage. Uh, when he traded pottage for the Abrahamic uh, birthright and blessing there in 2530. I do want to look at that. <clears throat> and Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore his name was called Edom. And, of course, Edom means red. <clears throat> and uh, and there's a lot of, of the name red is stuck to if you will, Esau in several different ways. And, of course, he came with red hair, and he was red all over. And some says that's the way he was his whole life, that he had a blooming complexion, which made him different than most others. They are darker skinned than we are, and so that they... That he was a kind of a bright or like a blushing uh, color of red. Esau came became a nation before Israel in Genesis thirty six one through forty three. Genesis it tells the and gives the list of Esau was the father of the Edomites and where they lived in Mount Sir. And then we have the word Duke, which means a chieftain or leader, all the way through here. And we'll just look at a. And a few of them, <clears throat> the, then we have the list of kings later on. And these are the name of Edom, Esau's sons, 10 verse 10. Eliphaz, the son of Adam, the wife of Esau, Rule, and the son of Bashemoth, the wife of, of Esau. And the sons of Eliphaz was Teman, Oman, Ziphol, Gatham, and Kiza, and Tema was the concubine of Eliphaz and Esau's son, and she bare Eliphaz the Amalek, and with these are were the sons of Adam, Esau's wife. Now the Amaleks became a separate nation altogether, and if you remember in your study of the Old Testament, that sometime Edom and the Amalek uh, were at odds with one another, uh, but sometimes they combined together to come against uh, the uh, Israelites, and so they were two distinct countries. Uh, even though they're all of Esau's descendants, uh, they still there was a split, I guess you say, that happened there. <clears throat> now we get down to verse uh, 15, and these are the dukes, the sons of Esau, the son of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, Duke Tima, Duke Omar, 
<coughs> Duke Zepha, Duke Kaiser, Duke Korah, Cor Duke Gaham, Tham, and the Duke Amalek. And these are the dukes that came of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adam. Now in uh, verse 36, I mean 36, 31, and these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before their, their reign, any king over the children of Israel. So this is a list of names, and, and we uh, started, we'll just start with the 25th verse, and the children of Anon was these, Dashon and uh, Aholabamah, and the daughter of Anah, and these are the children of Dasan, Hemdad, and Espan, and, and Ithra, and Chiron, and the children of Esar are these, and Bilhad, and Zebulun, and Achan, the children of Deshan, are these, Yuz, Uz, and Anon. These are the dukes that come of the Hororites, Duke Luan, Duke Shovel, Duke Zebon, the Duke Amza, and Duke Dishon and Duke Zior and Duke Dashon, Jeshon, these are the dukes that come of Horah among the dukes of the land of Seir. And so the first ones without the name Duke, they were the kings, and this would be like David's son, or as we would go through the genealogy of uh, David and his children, this is the, what this is. And uh, but and these were well, like the children of Zebulon and twenty-four, and uh, <clears throat> uh, children of Shobal uh, in twenty-three, and these are the children of Lothan was Horah and Heah, and Lathan's sister was Tenum. And uh, but nonetheless, as we think of these, these just the kings that reigned before uh, <clears throat> Israel even was a kingdom. And for the years that uh, Jacob was out of land, and are the years he was in the land before they went to Egypt, really, he was just a chieftain. He wasn't really, uh, uh, even though they called themselves Israel and some people declared him a nation, they really didn't become a nation until they came out of Egypt. <clears throat> and we have a few prophecies on that when we get to that portion of Scripture. Uh, Hadar was probably king in the days of Moses. However, God given kindly a kingly line for Israel was Judah, which will, uh, will last forever in Christ Jesus. Now, the names and genealogies in 4043 are not chronologically, and Esau, the father of the Edomites, <coughs> And these are the names of the dukes of the came of Esau, according to the, their families, after their places, the, by their name, Duke Timnoth, Duke Avila, Duke Jishten, Duke Aholabam, Duke Elah, Duke Pinan, Duke Kizna, and Duke Timon, and Duke Mephzar, and Duke and Magdal and Duke Iran. These are the dukes of Edom according to their habitations in the land that their possession. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. 
Now we'll start in the verse lesson 40, which is Genesis 37. And this is one of those verses you probably heard all your life if you was brought up in church. Coat of many colors. I think uh, I have pictures and Sunday school booklets and and they had, them, had some on the wall in the Sunday school rooms, you know, and all that, the coat of many colors. And so this is one of those passages that most everybody, if they've been in church very long, as especially as kids, would have heard over and over and over again, just like Daniel in the lion's den. This is one of those things that we see over again. And, and uh, I remember when I was a kid, I thought Joseph was just a kid like me. You know, and even doing all these things. And, of course, by the time they come in the land, he's 17, as we'll see in our passage. So uh, he wasn't any little boy that when this occurred. Uh, and we uh, titled the lesson, Spirit of Jealousy. And uh, it's used of a spouse twice. And the idea of it, the image of jealousy, which provokes jealousy, and that's the uh, two times it's mentioned of God, the spirit of jealousy, and uh, where they provoked with the idol, where God was provoked with the idol. However, it fits these brothers and their jealousy over Joseph. Jealousy is mentioned 35 times in the scripture, jealous 19 times in the form of envy, 34 times. We could also add the forms of covet, 39 times. We, we could think of the words like bitter, lust, hate, backbiting, and so on and so forth. The example, at least there be debates, envying, wrath, strife, backbites, and backbitings, and whisperings, swelling tumults in Second Corinthians 12.20. Uh, we could add the grudges, rivalries, malice, spite, and the list could go on of uh, the things that are either referred to in the Scripture or mentioned in the Scripture but are connected with uh, jealousy and envy. And... Uh, and, and there's a distinction, but sometimes it's like a distinction without a difference. And brothers jealous of Joseph. Uh, they was both jealous of him and envious of him. Uh, he get all the, got all the attention of his, of his father, and his father loved him more, so they're jealous, and they envy of his position, his coat, his, everything that happened to him. They uh, envied what happened to him. Rachel and uh, brothers jealous of uh, Joseph. Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. Joseph, the firstborn, was his favorite son. Therefore, Joseph, <coughs> therefore, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Then in this chapter, the coat of many color exemplified this love, which usually meant the heir of the birthright. This also speaks of royalty and the king to be. Uh, then Joseph's dream, <clears throat> let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. There in Philippians 2 3, there appears to be a correlation between uh, Jacob's journey and Joseph in type. And you see, you can see, I uh, copied a section out of, I think, Butler at the end of the lesson showed the correlation. Joseph was eleventh born, on, and although Joseph does receive a double portion at this time, it seemed it was unknown to Jacob. Verses ten through eleven, 
It is evident that he did not know that Joseph would be the second in command of e in Egypt, and they would all bow before him. Uh, several believed that Joseph was the not only the favorite, but was the best son. And they go about uh, Joseph's demeanor, his action compared to his brothers. But not all these brothers are mentioned individually. And so, but this is uh, a kind of, a, if you read through commentaries or you read uh, sermons on this, you find that's one of the things that some bring in is <clears throat> the best son. Not only the favorite, and their ideal, the reason he was the favorite because he's the best, and but in reality, when Rachel had him, then he became his favorite automatically because she is the first son of his beloved wife. Call him in colors, Genesis 37, the first four verses, and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan, these are the generation of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock and his <coughs> brethren, and the lad was with the son of Belhah and with the sons of Zephah, his father's wife. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors, and when his brethren saw that, their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peacefully unto him. So they already had problems between the sons and the brothers, and this only made it worse. This just like putting fuel on a fire. And uh, Joseph, now 17, uh, tattled. Now, uh, some will say that he just given a report. Uh, <clears throat> but I put in here, uh, if you were brought up with siblings, you know it was tattling. <laughs> and that's what it was, as far as I'm concerned. He, Yeah, he said, well, he's supposed to go out and tend the sheep, you know, and all that, but it doesn't, it doesn't say what they were talking about. It just says they were talking, and he overheard them, and he went and told Jacob, I had a brother that liked to do that. Go tell my dad when I'd done something wrong or, and give an evil report. And I think this is what it's speaking of here is uh, evil report. There in Proverbs eleven thirteen, a tattler, a talebearer, rebellious, revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Some things don't need to be broadcast. <clears throat> and some things don't need to be broadcast even in the way that they were said or in the way that we perceive them to be have been said. Some, <clears throat> However, it is called an evil report, and that's what I hang my hat on, is that when you look through the script, scriptures and you see an evil report, uh, <clears throat> it is almost always... Uh, it, is, uh, it is not a godly thing. It's usually some kind of ungodly thing or untoward thing and not necessarily evil in itself to some degree, but it's always a bad report. And uh, usually when it's used, it's always an evil report. That is, it is uh, a report that shouldn't have been given. 
and 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved them more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peacefully unto him. Now Jacob loved Joseph, was a generator of their jealousy. And you can see this in any family. If the parents dote on one more than the other or appear to love one more than the other, then the others get jealous, envious, and a lot of times you have a lot of problems uh, in families like especially if it's severe. And so when we think, when I called uh, Jacob the generator of their jealousy, he was. He just throwing fuel on the fire when he uh, made this coat of many colors. Sometimes children imagine their parents love a sibling more than, another, than they, and, and it might not be sold at all, more than all his children. It, it's mentioned that first that he loved him more than all his children, and then the sons mentioned that he, that he loved him more than all the brethren there, and uh, the most beloved or one love more than the others combined. If we take the sentence liberal, literal, not only that he loved him better, but he loved him above all the rest, every one of them. And so when uh, it came to who he loved, he really compared to his love for Joseph, he hated them. And this is the way sometimes we see in the Scripture where they hate father and mother and so on. And these things, we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And and doesn't literally mean in the sense we think we hate them with the hatred, but in comparison to our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that we put him first. And so it, it is, if you will, there put second place, third place, or however we want to, however we want to look at that. The coat was a tailor-made, colorful, fancy, and broidered work, a long coat. The mantle signified rank. It was indicated, this is copied, that the wearer was an overseer or master. It was not the mantle of the common laborer who wore a much shorter mantle, normally knee-length and sleeveless. By giving the coat to Joseph, Jacob indicated Joseph was, was to have the privileged position of preeminence over his brother in the family administration. And so that's copied from Butler. And then the coat of many colors. I put this in here. I still think it's colors, but uh, <clears throat> but the word, we're going by the word that's there for color. Uh, uh, Butler says the colors is misleading, for such coats were normally white with some elegant embroidered trim in the appropriate places. Morris says the word colors is uncertain in meaning long, long sleeves. And most say it was highly esteemed garment. And a lot of them says this means long sleeves. And a lot of them says it means long coat. And, uh, and uh, so we don't know exactly what the, color, the word color means here. Uh, but it was in uh, in their day is that the kings, I'm talking about in the King James days, the, the king wore the most fanciful uh, garments. And his 
his first in line, uh, wore the next most fanciful garments, and then the king's children wore, all of them had colorful clothes, but the king and the one in line for the, to take the place of the king back in, in their day was very colorful in their, uh, in their robes and different things that they wore. And, of course, they would be embroidered with gold and different things like that back in when this was translated. And so this may be where the word color comes from. Uh, but <clears throat> the word is one of those things that's not, inter- not inter- you can't interpret it because it, it just means a fanciful garment. And, and the word that's used here for color is, is uh, a, a word that's not used otherwise, otherwise in the scriptures. And we don't have the context of other scriptures to compare scripture with scripture on this one word. And, uh, but the ideal is embroidered and trimmed, and, uh, and it was cut. And in the days of Joseph, you know, as you just had a piece of cloth or skin, you put that on, and and it wasn't trimmed to fit. It wasn't nothing. Usually, it was whole of sleeves. You didn't have a sleeve, and and uh, and that's basically what the coat would be. And and so uh, the royalty or the people with riches or the people with authority would have long sleeves, and and the coat would go to the ground, where as the workers and laborers go to the knees. And so this is, uh, <clears throat> this is the, the coat. And uh, the only reason I bring all this out is, is uh, some things we cannot find, I don't think, the depth to certain things. And, and uh, this is one of those words. The rest of the verse, when it speaks about the garment and everything, shows it was a fanciful garment. And, and the most of them says it's long sleeve and long coat. Uh, that's what it means. And it would have been long sleeve and long coat to be that of royalty back in their day. We wouldn't call them royalty. We called them chieftains back then. <clears throat> when, Jesus, when his brethren saw, they saw Joseph wearing the coat of many colors, showing Jacob's esteem and love for him. And uh, their jealousy and greed were <clears throat> Joseph's ticket to Egypt. Now, we don't think of bad things as being good things, but when God says all things work together to good to them that love him and who are called according to his purpose, he means that. And so some of the things that we count evil, and I, uh, <clears throat> and all that they do to Joseph, I believe Joseph may have thought it was evil. And, and as we get to Potiphar's house um, in this lesson, God used this to bring about a good result for his people. You thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to save much people alive. Genesis 50 and verse 20. That's Joseph speaking to his brethren after the death of Jacob. I dreamed a dream. There in verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more, and he said unto them, Here I pray you, this dream which I dream, and behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheave arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood around about, and made obeisance unto my, to my sleeve, 
And the brethren said unto him, Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet, <clears throat> yet the more, and for his dreams and his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. And told it, it was, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee on the earth? And and his and his brother envied him, but his father observed the saying. And so now we have we have the being a tattletale, then we have the coat of many colors, then we have the one dream, then we have another dream, and each one just infuriates his brothers more and more uh, as we go through here in this in this passage. Uh, we cannot uh, hold Joseph entirely. Uh, guiltless. Now I put in uh, first there, excuse me. First was Joseph the talebearer. Second, Jacob loved him more. Third, coat of many colors. And fourth, now the dreams. And uh, so each one just building upon the other. Uh, it's just like you got smacked in the face and then you get smacked four more times or three more times. And and the first dream, dream the sheaves, stalks of some kind bound together. Your sheaves stood around about and made obeisance to my sheep. And his brother knew that the interpretation of that dream was. They didn't have to have a prophet come by and tell them what that meant. That meant that they were going to be bound down before him. Then 9 and 10, now it's, just the, now it's not just the sheaves, but the sun and the moon that made obedience unto him. And now, now not just the brothers, but Jacob and his wives would also bowed before him, and, uh, and the obedience here they understood as bowing to the ground before a superior. So it's not just uh, like you just curtsy or bow to somebody. This means going down to the ground, and uh, as you've probably seen in movies and things before Pharaoh, they would fall down the ground and put their hands out, and this is what this, is, this word means. And... Uh, and so Joseph told Jacob, and Jacob rebuked Joseph. <clears throat> he really, I mean, uh, he says, well, you think not that we're all going to bow before you? And, uh, jo- and Jacob thought he's crazy. That'd be like uh, living out in Kentucky or Alabama somewhere and living in, uh, uh, in a kind of an isolated place out in the country. And you say, yeah, I'm, you all going to bow before me. I mean, you're going to... Bow down to the ground before me. We think it's silly. And lying are thinking too high of themselves because we couldn't even, we couldn't even perceive how, how that could happen. And this is the way it was with them. And they couldn't perceive the, such a thing occurring. And Jacob especially could not perceive this. And, and not to bow before an, an, any official such as Joseph would become such a reproach and offense against Pharaoh's throne. Now, some might wonder, and I put that in the verse of the section before that, why would Joseph uh, have them to bow before him, especially Jacob? I mean, why would he do that? 
when he became second in the kingdom, everybody had to bow before him, and that was the prestige of Pharaoh's throne. For you not to bow, it was offense to Pharaoh, not to this official you refused to bow to. And especially if as, as Joseph was the second in command, I mean, everybody had to bow before him, and anybody that didn't were put to death. I mean, that was the penalty for not bowing. And it was seen as a front and treason of, to not bow. Verse 11, his brother envied him, but his father observed the saying. His brothers were envious of him, not just because of the dreams, but because he was loved the most. These uh, were the dreams from the Lord, dreams of prophecy. And Jacob kept and remembered these sayings of, uh, by Joseph. Uh, the plot to kill Joseph, Lord willing, we'll take up there next time. <clears throat> and I haven't... Uh, haven't decided on chapter 38 yet. This is uh, chapter 38 is where we get the teachings on, <clears throat> on birth control like the Roman Catholic Church has. And, and uh, the older interpretation, and I think it's not as bad now, but uh, they taught use contraceptives like murder. And they use this passage as the passage that says that and or teaches that. Then there's others that teach uh, about what happened to one of his sons and uh, that if you do that, then that's death. I mean, you, you deserve to die. And it all has to do with contraception. And uh, so I don't know. I'm mulling it over to how much we'll get into that. Anyway, that's where the teaching comes from.